This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the informational, inspirational, and transparent podcast about aviation careers. In this episode, Robert Geyer is going to join me and answer some of your questions. Uh, but first, before we get started, I've mentioned it before, start looking at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash aviation careers podcast. We're going to start doing some meetups and also some of the co-hosts of the show are going to start having some of those meetups too in their cities. And uh, if I'm coming to a city near you, I'm going to try to put those out there and tell you, hey, I'll be at this city. Uh, why don't you stop by a, uh, a location and uh, we'll get together. And it's going to be a lot of fun. By the way, it's been a long day for me. I've been uh, doing some career coaching all day long. It's been a wonderful day. It's just so wonderful to listen to people and help people move forward in their careers and in their lives. And by the way, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching if you want to find out more. Uh, I know it's getting, getting kind of full because we're getting real busy with it. And also I'm busy with uh, actual moving. Amazingly enough, it's uh, finally going to happen. Uh, it's taken some time to get the closing done, but I'm closing tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Uh, somebody who's actually uh, done a few of these closings before is Robert Geyer, and he is joining me today from Texas. Uh, Robert, uh, welcome to the podcast again. Hey, Carl. It's good to be here, and uh, congratulations on your uh, closing for tomorrow. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully, I uh, I won't have to erase that uh, from the podcast and, and say that, that it fell through or something, but uh, no, everything's okay. We did the walk walkthrough today, and uh, so that's been a lot of fun. So all's, uh, all's going well there. Uh, anyway, um, one of the things that's been great about Robert is he's been so involved with you know, doing uh, recruiting in the past, and he's done a great job and been very inspirational. Funny thing is, I I kind of look back, and we've we've been you know talking for many many years, and actually flown together before, and it's really cool because uh, I've seen you progress in a certain way in your career, and I've progressed another way, and uh, we've kind of gotten to the point where we want to be. It just isn't exactly what we thought it would be. I don't know about you, Robert, but I, I had this vision of what I wanted to do. It was a general vision, but it's not exactly that vision I had years ago. So what's happened is it's formulated and it's changed. So the point is, it's not going to always be exactly what you think it is. And, and Robert, I'm sure you've, you've taken some, some detours along your career or some, I should say, some changes in your career path that you didn't expect to do, haven't you? Yeah, sure have. Um, I mean, there's been a, a lot of things, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uh, pondering where you, which direction you're going to go next. And uh, I'm I'm happy where I've ended up, certainly. And you know, when I remember back in those days, especially when we used to fly together, and uh, you were my flight instructor back then, and all that, you have a uh, a picture, and it's like anything else, you have this picture in your head of what things are going to look like, and okay. And then when you when you're actually living it, it's great, but it is it is a little different than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, but it's gen in that general direction, which is cool. So uh, so that's awesome. Um, the other thing too is a lot of times we talk about flying, and and I'm getting this question often. It's like, hey, do you do you still like flying? Do you still like doing what you're doing? And I answered yes. Uh, I will say that there are portions in my career 
flying where I may have felt uh, the lost that loving feeling for a little while. And the way that I actually was able to change that is change it within myself, change that direction, start moving uh, you know, forward in another avenue of my life other than aviation. It really helped me. It also helped me in my career because in doing those other things in my life, like this podcast, it uh, it really kind of rekindled the fire of aviation, and uh, it made me look at my job a lot differently. I know, Robert, you you've also had some challenges. It's not all been you know roses and rainbows and 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 lovely uh, you know wonderful life the whole way, has it? No, it hasn't. But um, there's been some very high points as as well as some very uh, low points with setbacks, but. Uh, like you, and I think I've shared this a little bit before on here, um, I eventually had to make a decision that I was going to do th- stuff to take that step towards that towards that career goal and, and do things that um, were almost outside myself. Uh, that's why how I got into the Czech Airmen Department um, over at my old company. That's why I did the recruiting stuff because I felt very involved of helping other people and helping other people pro- progress in their careers. And um, I think that is what kind of rekindled me and uh, really gave me that, that continued passion to keep moving and to keep going through it and working through those those low times. And, you know, now where I'm at now, I, I'm in my, my dream career. I'm, I'm at my dream company, and I love life. And uh, I do. I love going to work. Uh, I love being home from work to get to uh, – as well, um, spending time with my family, and it's just a really good balance in life right now, and uh, it's a really good thing. That's well, awesome to hear from yourself and from others that are having a great time with their careers and and loving life, and it's always good and inspirational to hear that. Uh, you know, everybody has ups and downs, but uh, I have to say, ninety five percent or more of the time, I really love going to work. Uh, there's tough days, but they're few and far between. Sure beats working for a living, though, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, hey, tell you what, let's get started with some of the questions here. And uh, again, uh, please write to us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Some of these questions have come in uh, are from career uh counseling pilots uh, you know career coaching uh, that we've done with people and they have some very important questions that I want to share with you uh, if we do career coaching by the way we don't share any of that personal information but I think uh, this is really really some good stuff people have, have written in uh, and have actually gone through the coaching services and it's it's really helping people move forward in their careers people from all walks of life are doing this and they're absolutely loving it it's great to have other passionate people involved so anyway let's get started with the questions here. Uh, it's uh, first one comes in and says, good afternoon from New Orleans. Uh, says, great podcast and I really enjoy the series lately over careers in aviation world that are actually the job we are focused on, the pilot. I've been very curious about TAFs, terminal air drone forecasts, and how they're produced. I see the word packages in the discussions and wonder why TAFs are not often amended when the METAR is reporting a bust. Would you be able to interview with a team member responsible for those products that drive our discussions every time you go fly? That kind of a, a interview will probably go on a Stuck Mike Avcast, which is more the general aviation podcast. But I do want to have somebody from that team come on and talk to us about what they do. So going back to define the terminal aerodrome forecast, and this is a weather forecast that we use in general, avi- excuse me, in aviation. And uh, they, the tasks are actually issued every six hours, uh, you know, at, uh, was it midnight, 6, 12, and 1800, 
uh, and they generally apply for a 24-hour period up to 30-hour period. Uh, and uh, they're for about five nautical miles, uh, excuse me, five statute miles or five nautical up in uh, Canada. The uh, one interesting thing is a lot of people don't realize this is that there's many different reporting stations. There's over 120 weather forecast offices throughout the United States. So who's who's responsible? It's the National Weather Service that's responsible for that. So those are the folks that we want to actually bring in here and talk to. Uh, they actually, in the Air Force, they have some folks that are uh, enlisted personnel that actually are the people that write the TAFs. Uh, and maybe we'll be able to get one of those folks in here too. And it's really interesting. It's fascinating to, to read through. And uh, as far as the them putting the packages together and why, why what precipitates a change in the TAF and an amendment, that's something that I would love to have somebody on to talk about. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, somebody that will come on. Uh, in, it can be in the U.S., Canada, Australia, et cetera. And just uh, to have somebody talk about a little bit about the careers because there's some really cool careers uh, in weather service and the National Weather Service. And uh, a lot of folks going to some of these uh, degrees, they're in meteorology and they want to be people on TV, but they also want to be forecasters through the National Weather Service. So we'll definitely try to put that together as far as the careers are concerned here, but also as far as the actual reading those packages uh, and reading those tasks, excuse me, we'll talk a little bit more about that on the Stuck Mike Avcast. But uh, anyway, thanks for that question. We'll definitely have some of that. Uh, moving on to the uh, the cl- question here. This actually comes from uh, one of our clients. It says, uh, <laughs> this is a kind of, uh, I have to eat crow on this one, so here we go. Uh, I was listening to your podcast titled, Are You Too Old to Fly? And I chuckled when I heard you and Paul talking about switching careers in your early mid-30s, early to mid-30s. I'm 55 and I decided to retire from a 30-year career in the financial services industry and pursue the goal of becoming a professional pilot. I'm writing in to see whether your career coaching services might be able to help me. Uh, What I believe I need is guidance and information on the various types of professional pilot opportunities from regional airline pilot to 135 charter or ferry services, what they need by way of qualifications and how to choose amongst the various possibilities, and what I can do to give myself a leg up on the age 20-something young adults with whom I will be competing. Uh, he, you're at, he writes in also, he's a private instrument rated pilot with 1,425 hours. And, uh, he also flies a CRS SR 22. Uh, most of his flying, this is really cool, has been done for animal rescue. It's called pilots and paws and also angel flights, uh, wings, flights of hope, actually to airports in the Northeast. He's currently working on his multi-engine and commercial rating and targeting interviewing for an airline and other jobs before the end of the year. Well on his way, actually, as a, a client and a coaching client, but I want to kind of focus on some of the things that to glean from this. First of all, uh, I, I have to say that I make fun of Buffalo a lot, and i got to stop doing that. I actually have relatives up in the Rochester area and in New York, and uh, Buffalo actually is a very nice city. I just, uh, I'm not a cold weather person. That's why I live in Florida. So that kind of gets to me. Uh, it's a lot of fun to go up there. And there is a place called the Anchor Bar. Uh, and uh, that is totally cool. So, uh, And I know the, the comments I've made about the Anchor Bar wings and the 40 feet of snow, he did take personally. Uh, just I do this in, in jest and teasing because... 
Uh, I've been to even colder and further north cities like uh, up north in Calgary where they get quite colder than Buffalo, but uh, but we shouldn't really make fun of Buffalo. It's, it is a cool place. A lot of flying going on there, a lot of aviating, uh, and some really beautiful places to be. Uh, but getting to his, his uh, talking about his career, and this is something I want to glean from this, and it's in the background. If you're somebody who's in your 50s looking at doing a career change, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, gosh, you know, is there any way that I can see being hired by an airline even though I'm in my 50s? And I tell people, absolutely. Even on the regional level, they're like, oh, no, I've been told once you're hit 30, you can't do it. Yes, you can. I mean, you can definitely do it. Now, with that said, um, you know, you have a limitation. Uh, Being 55, of course, there's 10 years left in your career. And uh, so there's a limitation as to how far you can go as far as flying for the airlines. But there's lots of other things to do. There's charter, uh, like we mentioned, the ferry services. There's so much more to do. So that's the reason I kind of wanted to bring this out, this question, is that I know folks that retire from the airlines and then go work over uh, in the Bahamas flying. Uh, flying the uh, Part 135, Part 135 scheduled operations for the airlines, and they are having a blast and absolutely love it. You know, Robert, I know that you've talked in the past and uh, the concern about being that old and actually getting hired by an airline isn't really as big of a concern, I think, as as people make it out to be, is it? No, it's not. And I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, actually, and uh, there, there's still, um, there's still a, a large uh, demand, and there will be a large demand. And so, yeah, the, uh, you know, the uh, older, uh, the older year uh, applicants are are definitely getting a look at, and they're definitely getting hired. And like you're saying, especially at the regional level, and I know that's something we've talked about before, and, and it's absolutely true. And um, I saw it happen quite a bit uh, when I was over at my regional. Yeah, and even at the majors, you're seeing some of that. A lot of the guys that uh, just and gals that have only a few years left, uh, a lot of times are looking at them as a position in, within the training department, having them get their type ratings, et cetera. Another option, too, as far as flying. But I know if you want to be in the air, uh, there is there is no limit as far as age is concerned. There is a limit with your ATP uh, and uh, or a limit with the airlines as far as when you have to retire. That may change. Who knows? Uh, it already did change a couple of times. You know, it went to age 60, and then after it went to age 60, it went to 65. And uh, so who knows where it's going to go from here. But uh, the airlines definitely need people. That's for sure, don't they, Robert? Yeah, they do. You know, and I've been hearing a lot of, I don't know what you've been hearing, but just the rumors I've been hearing is there's a lot of, talk about 67 whether that comes to fruition or not i have no idea (laughs) but that is the ikeo i mean ikeo is 67 67, and um i know that there is a a push from um, some areas in the industry to get it changed and i don't whether that happens or not uh, man i have no crystal ball and, and i don't know but there is that kind of talk going around yeah, so you never know, but uh, but do know that you're there as you get older. Of course, there's a limit to everything. You know, your physical being, etc. That's when things start breaking. Believe me, things start breaking when you hit fifty, and uh, you know, just touching your toes becomes a challenge. But the <laughs> but one of one of the things you have to realize is that uh, you have to do something you love. If uh, you finished up a career and you want to move on to aviation, there's so many different things that you can do. If it's strictly flying, yeah, you can do it. If there's uh, some things that are out there that you you want to do that are 
instructional, that's easy to do. There's lots of people looking for instructors, that's for sure, and good people that want to help teach. But anyway, thanks for that. Also, as far as a career coaching, yes, obviously we can help uh, with that. Uh, we A lot of what we do with the career coaching is help move you into a path towards your career goal. And uh, the other thing, the other part of it, obviously, we do is the interview prep and also the the resume review. So uh, anyway, just you can look at the website for that under coaching. Moving on to the next uh, next question. This is actually kind of a downer, but we're going to talk about it because I think it's really important. Uh, it says, hello, I'm a longtime listener of your fantastic podcast. Unfortunately, my dream of becoming a professional pilot has taken a turn for the worst. I'm an Australian and have recently decided to take the big step in moving to Florida to pursue my dream and start my professional pilot training. After two months at the flight school, I made the decision to no longer continue my training there for a variety of reasons. Greatest of all, I had lost trust in the way the school treated their students. My woes began once I chose to disenroll and request that the remaining monies in my student account be returned to me. And he's talking thousands of dollars. At this point, the school refused to honor my training contract and return the funds. I'm at a loss what to do next. The school is no longer returning my emails, and I'm now left with the prospect of having to pursue them in court. I can't help but think this wouldn't have been the first time one of your listeners has reached out about this sort of thing happening. Is there any way you can help point me in the right direction on where to go next to try to find a solution? Thanks so much, and cheers. First of all, I am so sorry for what's happened. Uh, one of the reasons that we tell people to try not to put too much money down is for this reason at a flight school because uh, this is happening more and more now because this is such a big business uh, doing uh, the flight training because the airlines are hiring so much. Uh, there's some... And, and obviously, we don't know the specifics of the situation. There's some schools that are uh, not very scrupulous, and I've worked for those schools, and I've seen them go out of business, start up down the street under a different name, and do the same thing. And uh, it's an underlying theme, uh, something uh, a lot of people aren't willing to talk about. We don't mention names, obviously, for liability reasons, but it's happening uh, more and more lately. As far as my suggestion, what you're doing is actually the right thing to do is to pursue it in court. Also, the Better Business Bureau you can look at and look towards, and uh, and actually you can start filing a complaint. And uh, I think we put that in another podcast. I'll try to find the link to that and have it in the show notes. If you just do a search on Better Business Bureau in the search column on our website, you'll be able to find that episode. Uh, unfortunately, we're hearing this more and more from listeners, and uh, I the only thing that I can do uh, unfortunately, we don't do collections and that type of thing. We don't get involved in that, and that's really for the attorneys to do, is for me and everybody else here to ring that bell and say, hey, listen, watch what happens. Watch what you're doing when you put money into a flight school. Do your research. Do research on the credibility of the school, and, and make sure you're be, being responsible with your money. It's really sad when I hear things like this happening. And, uh, you know, these are all basically, you know, civil contracts, etc. cetera. Um, but when you do go, one of the benefits to going to a larger institution, of course, certain other laws and rules apply. Um, and I'm, and it's, it is sad to see this happen. So that's hopefully, uh, all, you know, that'll help you a little bit. And just say, you know, knowing that you're not alone here. And, uh, and hopefully other people will learn, too, that, and keep your eyes open as far as doing that anyway uh very good stuff i uh i really i really am encouraging people to write in and tell us about some of the issues they've been having uh so let's definitely move forward with that and uh and make sure that you do look at what you're doing and when you're selecting a flight school 
That's all I can say there. It's very, very important. Anyway, moving on, I have a, an email that, that actually came here. It says, uh, uh, and it's quite interesting. Uh, there's a, it's an, actually a comment from uh, Dan about Dan Freeman's. It says, uh, I want to start by saying how much I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy the variety of topics and diverse guests you bring on the program. With that said, I do have a bit of an issue with one of the statements made by Dan Freeman on the accelerated flight training. Of course, Dan's not here right now, and he has con- he did respond to this person, so we're talking a little bit off the cuff here. But we're going to give our own opinion, and we're not speaking for Dan. We're going to speak for ourselves. So uh, anyway, he continues, as someone who went through an accelerated flight school as a career changer, now 33 years old, uh, I analyzed the decision in depth created a spreadsheet, and searched all available information online and talked to as many people as I could to get the most accurate feedback possible. Dan's statement specifically on the timeline post ratings as a CFI is categorically wrong. The timeline for building your hours as a CFI after finishing up your ratings is not one year as he has stated. It's far closer to two years or even longer. Now, uh, this person is, is probably talking more towards the school that uh, the specific school, so we'll talk a little bit there. Uh, think about it this way. Someone starting from zero uh, to hero will finish the program with around 210 hours plus 50 sim, which doesn't count. Based on that, it would require a CFI to fly over 100 hours per month for 13 months straight to reach that magic 1,500-hour number. That is completely unrealistic, even at the busiest flight school with perfect weather, i.e. in Arizona. I believe you must clear up on your next podcast. I'd hate for someone to change careers under the impression that it will only be one year of flight instructing until they reach the airlines. Mr. Freeman's information, while I'm sure stated with best intentions, is wrong and uninformed. As someone who agonized over the timeline and opportunity cost of giving up my previous career as a ma- manager at a major airline, making the equivalent of FO pay at a major to pursue a career as a pilot. I'd hate to see someone make the decision of an inaccurate statement. Please clear up this to your listeners. Please, please, please. Realistic. Okay. Uh, he goes on. So anyway, this uh, what obviously this person is discussing uh, a specific flight school, and uh, as far as building the hours, the one statement I want to go back to is, is uh, uh, with as a CFI flying over 100 hours per month, uh, and uh, that actually is not something uncommon. I know myself; I did uh, 100 hours easily per month, and uh, that's not an issue. It may be an issue at the flight school uh, that he's discussing. Uh, but in the state of Florida, we have beautiful weather, and uh, we fly just about every day. I think there may have been three days in the year that I couldn't go up because of either hurricanes or bad weather all day long. So, Robert, um, we're not going to go into the specifics of this school and what, what he's talking about here, but uh, I will say this, as far as as uh, to defend Dan's point, uh, you definitely can get hours, those type of hours, where is uh, is depends on the flight school and depends on you and your marketing and whether you can go out there and actually find those students and keep those students to, to actually fly. I know, Robert, you had done some flight instruction, and I was kind of wondering what your experience was as far as, and also to, to his point, to discuss this as far as, is this, is this something you can do? Can you fly 100 hours a month as a flight instructor? Yes, absolutely, you can. And it takes a little bit of... Well, again, it depends on the school and the environment that you're in. Uh, my experience as a flight instructor was a Part 61 school. And that, when you first got in and you, and you were hired as a CFI there, 
you put yourself down on a schedule and you'd almost have to market yourself and build students. And a lot of times you get a little bit of overflow from other instructors whose schedules were too busy and that kind of build up your reputation. And the next thing you know, you'd have a bunch of students of your own and you'd hang out at the FBO and uh, wait for people to come in that were looking for flight lessons. And then you would, you know, market yourself and that's how you get students. And eventually you would get a nice big full schedule. And as you got more well-known in the school and you could do a lot of flying, a lot of flying doing that. And that was just that particular environment of the school uh, where I was, where I was teaching at because we had that freedom. We didn't have the, the structured uh, 141 environment as a 61 environment. So it was a lot easier to, to be flexible with your schedule and, um, Carl, I know you, uh, knowing you as the instructor, too, um, I, I, I used to work at that, that FBO uh, previous, before I was flight instructing there, working a desk and working the line. So I knew all the instructors. I knew all their schedules. I could see who was busy, who was not. And uh, I know you, in particular, were extremely busy, but you were at the airport all the time, and you were doing, that, you were doing the legwork, so to speak, to get your schedule up to that. So it is definitely possible, depending on the school you're at, and it is it is in how you market yourself and how much time you're willing to put in to build that uh, student base for yourself. You know, you brought up a great point, Robert. Uh, something I didn't touch on is uh, the 61-141. Uh, one of the things they talk about is being able to complete uh, with less hours in the 141. Uh, now let's look at it from not the student's perspective. Let's look at it from the pilot's perspective, trying to build hours as a flight instructor. Part 61, actually, uh, you can build more hours because even though you use a 141 syllabus, and you use that syllabus just in the 61 environment, you can actually wind up doing much more flying and actually make money because you're doing the ground instructing, you're doing the flight instructing. And, uh, and you know, the reason that, that I was able to get a lot of students, obviously I sat there at the airport. I did take two days off a week. So I only worked five days a week and was able to get the 100 hours a month is because it was based on my structure, not the structure of the school. So I, I think that's the issue here is that looking at the school that you go to work for, finding out whether you can actually build those hours, and I talk a lot about this in my coaching sessions, is find out if you go into that school, if there's a seniority type of uh, pecking order, uh, do those people that are senior get more of the flight time, et cetera? Uh, is, there, is the way that their program structured such that you won't be able to get the hours that you need? Yeah, you on your own. And that was kind of the cool thing about working for a Part 61 smaller flight school is they left you on your own. I know the uh, first couple thousand hours of flight instruction that I did, uh, I did more of it when I was at a school where it wasn't quite as structured. In other words, I had the ability to make my own schedule is what I'm trying to say there. I used a syllabus. That was, of course, structured. But when I was a 141, I was assistant chief at a couple different uh, 141 schools and uh, found I did not fly as much when I did it that way. Standardized testing, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's something that, that you might want to look at there. And I, we don't mention the flight school, by the way, in general, because of obviously liability issues for us. But also, this doesn't happen just at those particular flight schools. It happens other places, depending on how their structure is. So this is a, an important thing, by the way, to ask when you're actually going to work for a flight school. You know, what, how much am I going to be working? How do I set my schedule? Uh, if you can set it yourself, that's great. If you're a good instructor and people like you and you work hard, 
uh, you'll do really well. And I know, Robert, you did really well. And uh, there's, there's a bunch of instructors uh, that have done really well just in that in that similar type of environment in Part 61. So I'm glad you glad you brought that up there, Robert. Really good stuff. Uh, so anyway, we're going to have Dan back on, talk a little bit there about this. And I think he actually addressed it in his show. Uh, so uh, And I haven't been able to go over there and listen to that yet because so we've kind of been bogged down with everything here moving and all. Um, but uh, anyway, thanks for that question, though, and the comments. Um, Appreciate it. I did blank out a couple of things uh, from those comments, obviously, because we can't talk about specific schools here. Uh, anyway, moving on to the next question. Actually, this might be our last question. We're almost at a half hour. So this is an important one. Uh, I want people to remember this link and send it to their friends. And uh, and there's another one associated with this, but I'll, I'll talk about that afterwards. He starts, uh, says, Love the podcast. I find it very informative and helpful in guiding my son as I've been out of the industry for many years. In fact, it may have rekindled my fire to come back. Awesome. Uh, 30 years in an office is getting old but paid the bills. I could use a change office locations, maybe pursue my CFI since there's such a high demand now. And my finances aren't my driving factor. My son is enrolled in an aviation college to pursue the commercial flying. The first step I did was to make sure he could pass the physical for his certificate. He did pass, but just barely with a slight, uh, a slight color deficiency. Uh, my concern is that it could get worse, and after going through all the time, training, and money, are there other vision tests out there? Is there an, another more practical-based test that he can fall back on other than the Ishihara plates in the book. He has functioned well for 18 years without anyone even picking it up until this now. Uh, any guidance would be greatly appreciated. A lot of the info online seems to be outdated or not very clear on how it applies. So this is what I've done. I have a category in our podcasts, okay? And I'm going to give you the link here. Um, in, if you look to the right of the screen, if you're online, there's the categories. If you click on that, you'll see one that I made called Color Blindness. I've put all the episodes that we talk about color blindness into that category. I have a link at the bottom of the show notes here. It's aviationcursepodcast.com slash category slash color dash blindness. You don't have to remember that. Just look in there. Click on that. You'll see all the episodes. I think your answers will be, will be there. If they're not, you can write to us. You'll be interested to know that there's a, a couple of people on this podcast that have had those issues and are constantly giving guidance to people with color blindness. But definitely go there first. Listen to all those episodes about color blindness. It is one thing that, uh, that probably won't stop you from moving forward forward in your career. So that's really important to understand the facts there. Um, and uh, I'm, Robert, I'm sure you've probably flown with somebody that's been colorblind, haven't you? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, there, I know there's been a couple of people talked about. I think I've had some students back in the day that were, uh, that were also colorblind. And uh, yeah, you, you have to go you know, through a couple different hoops to jump to that you've talked about on previous podcasts, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it, it's not a, uh, end all, uh, for a career anymore. I don't think. Yeah. And, and that's why we put that category together. Uh, cause there, within those podcast episodes, there's some links. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you have friends that have this issue, please uh, link to it and uh, send it along to them because I think it'll be very, very helpful. And, of course, the most important thing is to talk to your AME and get some, have some consulting done. Say, hey, listen, your medical examiner is the one that has the most current information and can help you out. 
and you'll find that it's not that daunting. And I love Eric Crump's story. He has a good story in there as far as colorblindness, and uh, he'll be able to help you if you write in to feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. We'll forward that question along to them, uh, to him, excuse me, as far as the colorblindness is concerned. Well, Robert, that's that's about it. That's all the questions we have. Uh, we haven't done picks of the week for a while, so I kind of want to want to go through uh, some of those because there's some things that uh, uh, we haven't been doing, and uh, I want to get back to the core of, a, of the podcast. One of the picks of the week that I decided to do is the Wikipedia Terminal Aerodrome Forecast link. It has some interesting stuff in there because it's not just about the U.S. It's about the whole uh, the world and how the Terminal Aerodrome forecasts are put together. And uh, the National Weather Service has some links there. So go check that out. That's my pick of the week. And then, uh, Robert, you had an interesting one that I think is really important for your career. What 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 is your pick of the week? So it's funny, uh, you, you kind of sprung that, hey, what's your pick of the week on me at the last second here? And <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to think, and I was working out and thinking, what am I going to pick? And I said, oh, I know, I've got it. And what it is, is uh, it was a book that I've read. Now, all disclaimer and all that, I'm not a doctor and consult your physician and all that good disclaimer lawyer <laughs> stuff. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, it was this uh, book called uh, – uh, foundations back or foundations healing your back it will be on there but um it w- it's about uh, one of the things that's very important uh, to our careers is uh, health obviously and making sure you can keep your medical like we we're just talking about so um one of the things that you see a lot of people get uh, hung up on on their career is uh, back injuries and you go in a crew room and you start talking about a back injury before you know you got five other pilots around you talking about their back injuries so Um, uh, One thing that I wish that I would have learned a lot sooner in my career um, was the importance of uh, being fit, uh, staying flexible, and uh, keeping the strong core. And so my pick of the week was the Foundation's Back Training book because I think it's extremely important to uh, keep your back healthy and uh, just to enjoy this career for a long, long time. So that will be my pick. Awesome. And Robert, I actually decided to go on. There's a Kindle version of that. We'll have links in uh, Aviation Careers podcast at the bottom. And uh, please go link to that. Because if you have a Kindle, the Kindle version, you can get a free sample. I just got my free sample now. Uh, one of the things, and we'll end with there, is the fact that back problems can be an issue. I just flew with a person that's actually about to go out on medical leave because they actually are having a couple of things fused. I forget which one, L4, L5, I forget. But anyway, in their back, they're having issues. They're having surgery. I've heard many people having back problems. So uh, as you get older, especially sitting in those seats, uh, boy, they can can develop, can't they? I've been there, got the t-shirt, surgery t-shirt and everything. And oh, I'm no 34 years old. Oh, yes. So uh, it's very important. Uh, it's something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, my, my soapbox there is uh, keep your back healthy for this career because it will be I mean, it, it can really be a pain in the butt. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> you know, Robert, gosh, now that you mentioned that, what ha- when you, you were flying when this happened, did you have to go on medical leave? I was out for... Well, the first time my back went out was uh, I was out for two months, and then uh, and it was just something so simple, uh, just a movement wrong, and uh, I, I had it previously injured from lifting a flight case, and that's where it kind of all started. But then again, bad form, uh, bad movement, um, you know, just not keeping my course wrong was kind of what led to it, and then sitting in that cockpit is just going to really exaggerate the problem so i was out for two months at one point and then i went out for surgery um luckily i have all my disc and everything intact still they just 
uh, relieve some of the pressure on the nerve. But uh, it, I was out for another two months on that one, um, and that was you know that was quite a few years ago. I've been healthy with it. I mean, I've not. You'll never be a hundred percent again, but uh, I, I'm at least a part where I can manage it and keep it functional. Uh, and I haven't had to go out since 2013. So. Knock on wood, say a prayer. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, I hope so too. But that's uh, some absolutely great advice. And I had forgotten you actually went out on on leave because of that. So it's the simple things. uh, And that's why insurance is important too. Uh, And we're talking about that in some other episodes. As a matter of fact, uh, coming up in further episodes, uh, we're going to have some really cool things about uh, insurance. Well, gosh, Robert, this has been awesome. I love having you on the podcast. It's been wonderful having you as a co-host because you are so inspirational and uh, and one of the things that I, I love uh, about Robert is that he he dispels a lot of myths because uh, a lot of people say, well, I can't go interview with a for a job at a regional or whatever. And and you know Robert's been doing those uh, interviews for such a long time that uh, he says, hey, no, yeah, you can because we just did one and we just had an interview with somebody. Uh, another one that's interesting is uh, we talk about this here, and I think I probably should mention this. We talk about the four year degree, how it's important to have that. There are people being interviewed at airlines without a four-year degree. Uh, It does happen. So I I hope you don't get the impression that everybody has one. Just the majority have them. and does give you a leg up to have that degree. Uh, So, yes, you you can get an interview, but uh, there must be something that stands out in your background if you are going to get an interview with an airline uh, without having that degree. It could be experience. It could be something incredible that you've done in the past. It could, uh, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. It could be the fact that the recruiter really likes you. <laughs> so, uh, so those type of things. Anyway, well, uh, Robert, gosh, you know, this is this has been cool. We're gonna have Robert back on to answer some more questions. If you have specific questions about Robert to Robert, you can send it to feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. We'll forward those along. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, can't wait to do this uh, in the next episode. Well, one of the things that I want you to take away from this again, like we always say, is to take one step today to move forward in your career, in your life, whether it, it is something physical about yourself by reading this book and, and redefining your core, conquer your back pain, you know, so you can move with confidence, or if it's learning more about TAFs or looking into flight schools and being careful about the money that you put down uh, for that flight school, something, do something now, do some research, do it today, and I will talk to you next episode, Safe Flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.